Hello, hello. How is everyone? Hi. <laughs> um, so yeah, I am continuing on in our series. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm anticipating some cool things to happen. I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I never do. So yeah, I'm just going to get into it. I have a couple of stories that I want to start us off with this morning. Um, both of them are heavenly, beautiful stories. The first one, yesterday I went to this place called the Donut Man. Have we, has anyone in here been there yet? It's, it's in Crossfield, Alberta. So it's like 30 minutes north of Calgary. Um, and it, it's opened, it opened during COVID, so it's a relatively new business. And they have fresh made donuts. Um, so you order your donuts and they make it fresh for you. And let me, let me tell you something about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven comes in many different forms, and that donut, I had, I, we ordered a half dozen, I had one of them, the first one I tried was a cinnamon toast crunch. So it had some of the cereal on top, but it's not about the toppings here, it's about the donut itself. And when I took a bite of this donut, I, I you know, there's those times you've had with the Lord where it's like beautiful and you're crying before the stage, this was equally as beautiful, and... I, I honestly, it's hands down the best donut for sure I've ever had, probably top three, maybe even the best dessert I've ever had in my life, top food I've ever had, and by, this isn't a paid advertisement, like there's no hashtag paid ad on this, this is just my heart, um, but if you haven't gone, I would highly encourage you to check it out, and if you go there and you don't like it, um, come talk to me, we have some things to discuss. So that's the first stream of thought. Another one is actually a really cool story that I heard from my grandma. Um, this, I think it happened this past week, past two weeks. And so if none of you have met my grandma. She's amazing, uh, loves Jesus, leads people to the Lord almost every week. And she lives in Penticton, B.C., hence why a lot of you haven't seen her before. Um, but anyways, she, so she had a, a fall a couple years ago, and so since this fall, she sometimes will have these panic attacks where she'll just freeze, um, and then she'll get a headache, and she can't do anything, and everything goes dark around her. And so uh, this in the last week, she was in the lineup at McDonald's, and she was about to go to the counter, and then she had one of these panic attacks. And so she's just standing there frozen in this lineup. And like under her breath, all she could say was just like, help me. Like, she said that, like, help me under her breath. And then all, like, right away, this arm came and wrapped itself around her. And uh, the, there was a voice that said, hey, I'll, I'll walk with you. Come walk with me. And she didn't look at that person, and she could just see that um, the arm had, like, a nice blue uh, jacket on. And so this gentleman led her to the front of the counter. She walked with him. And right away, as they started walking the headache and the panic attack and all the symptoms that she was having disappeared. And then she ordered, and she ordered her classic coffee and a muffin, um, and then she turned around to thank the gentleman, and there was no one there. And she searched the whole McDonald's, and there was no one there with a nice blue jacket on. And so it's this cool, and since then she hasn't had any panic attacks, no headaches, nothing like that. And so, yeah, let's give it up. That's an amazing story. Um... And sometimes God shows up to us in these really tangible ways where it's this physical experience and encounter that we have with God. And I've had a couple of those in my life. And maybe you have, maybe you haven't. That's okay. Wherever you're at on that, 
but I just wanted to encourage you all that there's a God who's coming to wrap his arm around you and say, hey, let's walk together. There's a, that's the heart of the message is maybe it's not a physical hand, but there's a, there's a God who is so for you. And you may be having anxiety, panic attack, headache. Um, it might be relational issues. It might be whatever you're going on, what's going on in your life circumstantially. But there's an arm that's coming around you and saying, I'm coming to walk with you. And sometimes the symptoms and the headache and the things are going to disappear right away. Um, but other, th- other times it's going to be a journey and a process, and that's okay as well. There's grace for that. So I just wanted to encourage you all with that this morning. So into the message. Um, yeah, building healthy family. Wow, I think this is such a detrimental thing that not only just a church context needs to talk about, but the world needs to talk about. Excuse me. <clears throat> and I think, especially in my own life, this is something that, you know, I've gone through ups and downs in family, um, especially when we're talking in, in the context of blood family, you know, relational, uh, because your friends can be your family. Your it, family is not bound by blood. Um, you can, even if you don't have any earthly family or biological family around you, your friends can be your family, and I want to encourage you with that. Um, but I want to talk about on how do we, how do we build a fa- healthy family dynamic even if the foundational pieces aren't there? What does that look like? And so I want to actually share my story this morning, a bit of my testimony, a bit of my life and my experience that I've had. And it's, I, I was wondering if I should do this because I've done this before on this stage, but it was probably a good two years ago. Um, and I would say probably over half of you in here are new and weren't there when I had shared that story. Or maybe you just missed that Sunday because it was just one Sunday. And so I really want to tell my story again. Um, if that's okay with you. And on that note of telling our story, we, um, Tim briefly talked about the collab studio that we'd raised enough money for stage one. And I just wanted to share just a snippet of my heart for that and when I heard about that. <clears throat> and so, again, Tim says, we're, we're making a studio downstairs for videography, photography, recording things for entrepreneurs. Um, and one of my, the things that I would love to do with that space is to create a space where we can just tell our story. Um, where we record people's stories, and that's people within CLA, our CLA family. That's people maybe not even within our church context. Um, but we, we make these videos, and we share our stories, and we just listen. And I think we need, that's a, it's such an important thing, is just, let's just listen to each other's story. And I, I heard a quote, I don't know where it's from, but it says that if, if you actually had heard everyone's stories, you would have no enemies, if you actually knew where people were coming from and a lot of their actions and a lot of their words and a lot of the way that they act, maybe they're really toxic and harmful, but if you actually knew and understood their story, you wouldn't view it as an attack on you. And oftentimes it's actually pain that people have experienced in their life, in their childhood, and they're, they're lashing out, but they're, they're, they're lashing out at you isn't, it's not against you. It's them saying, I need to feel safe. I, this is all I know. And it's their pain within themselves that is lashing out at you. But it's, if you know their story, it actually isn't going to affect you anymore. Because you're, you're going to see that this, is actually, this, isn't, this isn't so-and-so. This isn't Tim lashing out at me. This is pain lashing out at me. This is the Satan. This is the accuser lashing out at me. It's not actually, we don't fight against, against flesh and blood. And so with that, I think... CLA needs to be a place where we tell our story. 
And that's what family is. Family is a place where I can say, hey, this is all of who I am. The mess, the clean parts, the parts that I love, the parts that I don't love. Um, I'm going to show it all to you. And it's going to cost me something because I can't control your reaction to how you respond to my story. But in a, fam- in a context of family, you need to tell each other's stories. You need to know each other on an intimate level, on a deep level. If I don't know where you've come from, it's, it's going to be really hard to actually be intimate with you and to understand why you act the way you act, why your personality is the way it is, why are you more direct and assertive, or why are you more emotionally driven, why are you more intellectually driven. All these things are a lot of times determined by our childhood and how we are raised. And so even for myself, I would consider myself quite an assertive, um, independent person, and a lot of that has to do with I was an only child. I grew up in a single-parent family, and so a lot of the times... It was on me to figure, out the, the, to figure out the solution. It was on me to, to be the strong one. It was on me, even within my friends, and as, I go in, as you go into leadership in a ministry role, it's on you to, to help people, to bring them out of the dirt. To, and it's this continual thing, and, that, and I love that. But that's just my personality. It was almost as if it was kind of molded because of my childhood and how I was raised. And so this is, I'm going to tell my story, and, and I'm excited for... This place being a place of story, of storytelling. Um, and so I'm going to try to keep go into snippets and, and keep it concise. But um, my, so growing up, I would live with my mom. Uh, my, my parents were never married. <clears throat> and I would see my dad on the weekends. And so the context of my relationship between my mom and my dad is it was not a good one. Um, my dad was physically abusive, emotionally abusive, sexually, everything that you can imagine. He was just not a, he's not a nice man. And so I would see him on weekends and, you know, it was fine. It was working. And then as I grew older, I started to get a bit of an attitude. Um, so around the time that I was about 12, 13 years old, I started standing up to my dad a little bit more. And he started to show, show signs that my mom had first initially experienced when she had started dating him of that emotional abuse. And not like an outright physical abuse, but there was, you know, the indications. There's always an indication where something is going or it's trending towards. And so my mom is experiencing this and she's seen it again. And she says, I don't want my son to go through what I've gone through. And um, so I was 13 and I remember I was playing my game a video game, and my mom came into my room, and she said, Cody, I need to talk to you, and I was like, okay, what's up, and she said, Cody, um, you're actually not going to be able to see your dad anymore, and I remember in that moment, um, the the emotion attached to that was really hard, um, but I didn't want to feel it, so that was the moment where I started this cycle of hardening my heart towards everything, and so I just turned to her, and I said, okay, and I started to play my game again, and then every single time something hard would come my way. And I went to a, a private junior high school from, or it was uh, elementary and junior high, so grades one to nine. And really a toxic environment, if I'm honest with you. Um, and just, if that was my only model of Christianity, there's no way I would be where I was, to, where I am right now. But again, I'm the bad kid. And so, and I'm not a bad kid. Like I'm looking back, I am not a bad kid. I'm a great kid. Um, and I mean, in hum- and, and we, had, we had our ups and downs for sure, but I'm like, by no means, like if I was in charge of grade five, 13-year-old Cody, cakewalk, no problem. But 
in their eyes, I'm the bad kid, so I'm always in the principal's office. I'm always, you know, and, and I'm always being ridiculed, and I'm being, I'm, I'm taking on this image of, like, I'm always going to get in trouble anyways, so why not? And so every single word that is thrown towards me that you're not doing enough, you're not enough, etc., I'm, I'm just hardening my heart to all those things. And so we ended up having to go to court and getting restraining orders and getting followed by my dad. And, you know, these things are traumatic. These are, this is trauma that I had experienced as a child. And sometimes we don't recognize that. And then years down the road, we realize, oh, that was actually trauma and I need to deal with it. Um, and so I'm, I'm, dealing, I'm dealing with it in the wrong way by hardening my heart. And Tim was there in the midst of all this. Tim was my youth pastor when I was going through. I just started going to First Assembly when, I was, when this was starting at 13. And so Tim actually was in the courthouse with me when I was getting a restraining order against my dad. Um, so he's been there for a lot of this story, if not all of it. And so time goes on. Things kind of subside a little bit. But that hard, that cycle that I had started um, did not subside. And eventually I find myself in high school, in a, and it's a, it, I went to a great high school as well, private school, um, but I really just didn't care anymore. And I loved the feeling of hatred because I felt powerful with it. And I think a lot of the times I felt powerless to my circumstances. So if there was something that I could control, I would hold on to it so hard. And so I loved to feel the feeling of hatred because I can control how much I hate something. And hate is the counterfeit of love. <clears throat> and so I would go and I would go to metal and hardcore shows and I would go just so I could like beat people up and not get in trouble. And I, I mean, you all, most of you know this, I still go to, well, pre-COVID, I still went to hardcore metal shows, but I didn't go to beat people up. Your pastor, the, the pastor up here was not going to shows just to beat people up. I just want you to know that. <laughs> just, no, not to beat people up. Just to have fun. Anyways, um, and so, yeah, I was just this angry child. And I, I didn't have, I, and thankfully God was faithful. And, and I had people like Tim and I had youth leaders. And if a youth leader would transition out of the youth ministry I was at that I was really close to, that was kind of a father figure to me, right away another one would be introduced. And it was like there was just this, this cycle where God, you know, he had me. And so I actually got to see what healthy male role models looked like, um, even though they weren't in a, in a family context for me. And so I'm going through all of this, and then my faith is going like this as well because I'm dealing with all these emotions of hatred and anger and, God, if you're so good, why do I feel this way? And if, if you are real, I don't believe that you're good because if I feel this way, you can't be good. And so I end up turning away from God completely, but I'm still going to church and I'm still going to youth group because I, it's just something that I, was, that I do but I remember the moment where I was standing, and I shared this once at FA, at their youth group, and I like stood in the spot where I decided that I was done with God. And so I went over and I said, I was like, right here, this is the spot that I said I was done with God. And it was during a worship set, and I said, why am I lifting my hands right now to a God that doesn't love me? And I sat down, and I was done with it. And to say that I was transformed in a moment, it would be false. I didn't have this experience where I was like, I just love Jesus again. But it was this slow process of God moving and molding my heart and making my heart of stone become a heart of flesh again. And so 
here, I, my dad's still not a part of my life. I don't see him for five years. And then one day I'm working at Callaway Park, and somehow he had found out through a childhood friend that I'd worked there. And so I'm walking to my break, and I was a rides attendant. <clears throat> and please don't send your kids to Callaway to work. Like, it is not, it is a hard job. Um, but I was walking to my break, and then I felt a tab on my shoulder, and I looked behind me, and it was my dad. And, like, you know that gut feeling of, like, your stomach just dropping. You're just like, uh, hello? Like, I don't, I don't know how to respond to this. And he ended up, we had a conversation, and he ended up telling me that he wanted to see, come to my grade 12 graduation. Um, and he had given me, like, anyways, that's not important. But, um, and so I was like, okay, I, like, I, I got his phone number, I pondered it, but I was like, this isn't, I'm not at a place where this feels right or healthy. Um, especially with his relationship to my mom, because I knew my mom's going to be there. Um, and so I phoned him, and I said, hey, I don't, I don't want you to come to my grad. And up until this point, he'd been sending me money for, like, every birthday, every Christmas. You know, there's, like, that investment of, like, maybe a hope in his, his heart that I would, like, change. It was all my mom's idea, and it wasn't mine. But then at that moment, when I said no to him, because it was a personal no, like, everything stopped. And so... This was when I was 18 years old, and then I didn't see him again until I was 23. And so, I, at this point, I've gone to YWAM. I've done three years at ministry school. I've gone through a lot of inner healing. Um, I've changed the way that I viewed God, and I've found God again, and he needed my heart. And I said, I'm going to give you another chance. And then I was radically transformed, um, especially at Bethel, where I went to ministry school. And I saw healings and miracles and, and experienced love in a way that I could never turn back again. And so I go through all these experiences, and I really don't give my, my dad a second thought over the next five years. <clears throat> and then one day I'm, I'm back from ministry school. I think it's the first year that I'm back. So this was about four or five years ago. And me and my mom are at a flea market, and we're just getting food, and we're sitting down and eating. And then all of a sudden... Um, they're like these long bench tables and then my dad just comes around and sits at the table right in front of me. And like, again, like that heart, that stomach drop. I was like, I don't know how to react to this. And then he started just weeping. And so I like got up and I like embraced him and he's just like, it's just, it's really awkward for me because I don't, I don't have an emotional response to match his. And so we're, I'm just holding him in this flea market and, um, and yeah, he might, yeah, anyways, um, so we exchange numbers, and I say, maybe this is like, maybe I'm supposed to give this a, a chance, a shot. Um, because it's been a very long time since I've experienced him, and I, I really believe in God's working grace that he can transform anyone's life. And so I said, okay, like, let's meet up. And so we actually, we I hen- ended up hanging out a couple more times after that, once a month. And I said, hey, listen, like, I set up the boundaries right away. Like, don't expect to be a part of my life, like, in fullness again. Like, we're going to see each other maybe once a month, and we're going to work our way towards something. But you need to know that there are boundaries in place, and you don't have open access to my heart. And so we met for a couple times, and then one day I I woke up, and I opened my Facebook, and there was a notification, and he had just posted this long tirade on my Facebook wall, um, demeaning my mom, demeaning my character, and all these different things. And so I texted him, I said, you never, you, you have no right to, to comment on any public platform that I have. If you have a problem with me, you can say it personally. Um, and that just sent him into another tirade. Um, and then over the next year, year and a half, I would get just drunk calls from my dad. 
about why I don't love him and why and and hateful things towards my mom for taking me away from him and all of these different things. And he, I've, I didn't mention this, but he was an, he's an alcoholic, um, just a very toxic person. And but again, I know his story, and I know that he grew up with the exact same thing. His parents, his his grandparents, all of them. There's this cycle of alcoholism and abuse, and so he's just perpetuating a cycle of brokenness. And so, but that doesn't mean that I have to do the same thing. That doesn't mean that I have to perpetuate and I have to be an alcoholic. And ironically enough, I've never even tasted alcohol in my life. So it's quite the, as far away as you can get from an alcoholic. Um, But anyways, I phoned him one, or he phoned me drunk one day and I said, hey, I, I don't have the capacity or the energy to deal with you at this season of my life. And I'm not telling you that this is a forever closed door, but I'm telling you right now, you need to work on yourself and maybe we can visit this in, in the future. But as of right now, I, um, I'm not going to have any contact with you. I'm not going to respond to anything that you send me, etc. And he tried a couple more times. I ended up having to block him on everything. Um, and that's a reality that is present. So I haven't spoken to him for probably two or so years. Um, but yeah, so that's like Cole's notes, super short version. Um, turned to, honestly, I think that that experience in my life made me turn away from God throughout high school. But then, as I said, like there was a kneading and a pruning, and I said, "Oh, maybe one day I'll just give this a shot. Maybe, maybe today I'm going to stand up during worship. Maybe today I'm going to lift my hands, or I'm going to sing half of a song, or I'm going to sing one song in the set." And it was slowly like God was transforming me. And there's this process of transformation that we're all a part of. It doesn't have to do with, it doesn't necessarily have to do with a family context, but it can do with whatever is going on in your life. There's a process of molding and moving and transforming and becoming more Christ-like every day. And so this is where I'm at. And so thankfully I'm here. Thankfully, there was a grace over my life, and God showed me what health looked like in male role models and female role models at ministry school, at First Assembly, in different youth groups, and, and Imagine Church where I attended for a while. And there's always been people around me where I'm like, this is what health looks like. Um, unfortunately, that's not the story for everyone. And oftentimes, if you're raised around abuse, whatever that looks like, you yourself actually become abusive. I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be abusive today. I don't think any child, as they're being raised, is saying, I'm going to, I want to be abusive. But they experience it over and over again until it becomes normalized. And then they perpetuate the same thing. And I think oftentimes we, can, we, we think as though, like, oh, I'm just not as bad. You know, I'm not as bad as my parents I'm not, I don't, I would never hit my own child, even though I was hit. But I think oftentimes brokenness can manipulate itself into a way where you, and I I said, last time I preached, I talked on this, where the past is your standard of progression and not Jesus. And so you say, I'm not as bad as my, my dad. I'm not as bad as my mom. I'm not as bad as my guardian or my grandparents or the foster system. So, but but you're actually, you're, you're emotionally abusive. You're spiritually abusive. You may not be physically. It's not manifested in the same way. The brokenness isn't manifested in the same way, but brokenness is still being manifested. And so 
I'm, there might be some of you in here today where there's like this conviction on your life where it's like, actually, maybe, I, like, maybe I've had trauma and I need to seek healing. There's this YouTube channel. It's called um, The Soft White Underbelly. And I've mentioned this, I think, in staff meeting. I don't know if I mentioned it on the stage, but it's essentially um, a YouTube channel where this photographer, he's, he's, his studio is actually on Skid Row in L.A. And if you've never been to Skid Row, I've been there a couple times. Um, probably the darkest place I've ever been in my life. And I've, yeah, I've been to even, like, darker than brothels in South Africa. Like, I've been to some places but Skid Row, like, the, it's essentially the prison system just dumps, in L.A., just dumps all of the convicts after they're released out of prison right back into Skid Row. And it's this huge block radius within L.A. that's full of homeless, uh, mental ill, um, crime, all, anything that you can imagine. And so this, this photographer, he has a studio on, on Skid Row, and he just invites people to come into his studio and tell their story. And so, a li- a, like, watching this is a little bit of my inspiration with where we could go with CLA, with our studio downstairs. But, and this guy, he's not a Christian. He, he, it's not spiritually driven or at all. But he sits them down, and he has everyone from prostitutes to gang members to pimps to whatever you can imagine he has sitting in front of him. And um, he sits them down, and the very first thing that he asks them every time, he's like, so just tell me about your childhood. And sometimes just that one question, the person will, it'll be a 40 or 50 minute video and that person will just share their entire life. And all it takes is that one thing. So just tell me about your childhood. And a lot of these, most of the people he interviews are, are visibly broken people. And the stories that you hear are just heartbreaking. And I've watched these videos and I've just been like sobbing because my and it's almost like there's a conviction on my life where immediately you see the thumbnail of the video and you judge that person. Like, even like, and it's, I think it's easier to love certain kinds of brokenness than other ones as well. I think it's easier to love a prostitute than it is to love a pimp. It's easier to love, you know, something that maybe we're a little bit separated from than, than loving something that we've actually felt damage in. But if you listen to the story of this pimp where he was a kid and his dad sold him out and, and this is his life, your heart just breaks for him. And you don't look at his actions and you don't look at his brokenness and look at him with hatred and condemnation. But once his story begins to be revealed, the hatred and the condemnation begin to mold and move into compassion and empathy for this man. And so there's those of you in here where you've experienced abuse in your life. I would say I would say all of us have to some extent ex- experienced it. Some of us in different ways and more than others obviously. But again, I want to I want to encourage us. This isn't I don't want this to be a downer. We're going to get to, you know, the good stuff, quote unquote. Um another thing I just really felt like I want to I want to touch on is that oftentimes the the abuse or the brokenness that we experience in a family context, we project onto our spirituality with God, on our faith with God. The amount of times that I've had youth or people that I've been mentoring come up to me and being like, I, I don't understand what a, what a heavenly father looks like. I don't understand what a good God can actually be. 
because my earthly dad is, has no resemblance to anything that you're talking about from this stage. So in their mind, there's an automatic block because it's like you're, you're saying the word father, you're saying the word dad, you're saying the word friend, you're saying the word savior, but I can't get over the, my own father, my own friend that has hurt me in the past. And so we've, the, the abuses that we've experienced and that spiritual abuse or the manipulation that you grew up with in, in a family, wherever, wherever you are on the spectrum, there's, there's, I really believe there's things that you're going to have to deconstruct in your life on a faith level. If you're, if you're the way that you view God and the way that you experience God looks exactly like your parents, I think you have some deconstructing to do. Because I think all of our, and this is, I know this is offensive to some of you, but all of our journeys with God need to look different. He speaks to us in unique and different ways. He wants us to know him in ways that maybe our parents have never experienced him or our children will never experience him. There's like, and that's the beauty of it. Like my relationship with God will never look like Tim's. Obviously there's foundational, fundamental things that are the same, but the expression of those things should look different. And that's why even with this studio downstairs, there's this, the entrepreneurial, the business-minded people that, you know, this is something that excites them. And they're like, yes, like, I can get on board with this. And it's actually an expression of their worship. Like, business is an expression of their worship. Like, they're actually called to be missionaries to the business field. But for me, like, I'm not business-minded at all. But the expression looks different. And so I want to encourage you, you don't have to keep on in the same patterns as your parents or even your friends. Like there's something beautiful about the uniqueness of the body of Christ. If the body of Christ is all just a left index finger, we're not getting anywhere. Sure, we can point at people really well, but we need, we need the body. We need different expressions. We need different ways of viewing God to actually get to where we're going. And so let me tell you something here. Uh, the kingdom of God is really good at breaking cycles of brokenness. That's actually its main job. Like the antithesis of broken behavior is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is everything that is whole. It's everything that is right. It's everything that has never missed a mark in its life. And the reality, oftentimes when I say the kingdom of heaven, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get there one day. But no, the kingdom of heaven is a reality that is here right now. It has both come and it is coming. It is this paradox of something we can experience right now in this moment. We don't need to wait until death to experience it. Because if we wait till death to experience the, he- the kingdom of heaven, then, then death is actually our savior and not Jesus. And so in Matthew 10, 34 to 37, it says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. 
And at first glance, this verse can be very glaring and very, um, the imagery that's used in it is quite violent. I have not come to bring peace to the earth, but I've come to bring a sword. And oddly enough, a lot of people will try to validate like a violent Christ through this verse. But this verse is later reiterated in Luke 12, where Luke actually, he, he reads into it and he says that he doesn't use the word sword, but the, the, the word sword there is just a hyperbole that, that is a, it's a hyperbolic image of division that the kingdom of heaven is going to bring. And so the, this verse, the kingdom of heaven actually may cause us to divide from our family. Because if we're looking at our family and we see brokenness and we see hurt and guilt and shame, but we're experiencing wholeness and love and joy and peace and patience and all these good things, we, want nothing, we don't want anything to do with that anymore. And please, this is, this is, it's hard to navigate this conversation because I'm not saying just go ask your family, like get, get rid of your family if they don't have the same beliefs as you. This is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the kingdom of heaven, like it needs to actually unify. But it also divides at the same time. You know, it, it divides us in our earthly mindset towards one another, but the kingdom of heaven wants everyone to enter into it. So oftentimes in a family context, you know, you might view yourself over here and your family's over there and you're working to wholeness and they're working towards brokenness. But the kingdom of heaven, it wants you to move over here and grab their hand and pull them with you. But oftentimes brokenness doesn't want that hand. It doesn't want to accept it. It doesn't want anything to do with it. And again, sometimes you're going to have a breakthrough that's going to be in a moment and you're going to see a family member just completely experience the kingdom of heaven. But other times it's a process, as I know. And so the kingdom of heaven is going to cost you something. Are you willing to lay down your earthly relationships for the kingdom of heaven? And sometimes that's all we know. All we know is the people that we've been brought up with. It's our parents, it's our friends. But in this passage, God is saying, hey, are you actually willing to lay it down? And for some of you, there's this thing in your heart, well, I could never, I would never turn on my family. And again, I mentioned The Chosen last time, but there's the, in the TV show, The Chosen, there's a, a portion where Simon, the disciple, um, has a, he, he's the only one with a family. He has a wife at home. Um, and then his, his grandma is sick as well. And Jesus, he calls Simon. He's like, are you willing to come with me? But there's, for Simon, there's more of a cost than the other disciples in that context because they, you know, they don't have a family. It's just easy to kind of upend. But Simon's like, what about my wife? And it's actually like her, his wife in this film, in this TV series is so beautiful. And she's like, no, you need to go. Like, this is what you're doing. Like, I, I'm not actually going to let you. It's like almost this mentality of you're not allowed back at this house after you've been invited to G, with Jesus. But that's what health looks like. And then Jesus goes and he heals the grandma and he makes it as easy for her as possible. But it costs Simon something. It costs them all every, something. But it costs Simon like, hey, I may not actually see my wife again. hey, man, I may not even see my kids again. And please, I don't want to be misheard in this way. I'm not telling you, like, go 
get rid of your kids or your or spouse. But it's like, what is the heart behind the message? The heart behind the message is, are you willing to lay it all down for him? Are you willing to, to pay the cost? Are you willing to take up the cross? The, co- the cross of self-sacrificial love. And so there are those of you in here who you've, you've paid the cost. You've sacrificed much. And I, I want you to know this morning that your sacrifice doesn't go unseen. There's almost like this heartache of like, if I just want them to know you, God. And sometimes the conversations you've had have actually driven you apart, but they're conversations that needed to happen. But God wants you to know that your sacrifice doesn't go unseen. He sees the cost. And he's in you in that. He's in you in that pain because it is painful. I want you to know that it's okay to set up boundaries. As I had to do with my dad. Hey, you're not, you don't get full access to my heart after years away from each other. Because then if you say, hey, if, if you open up your heart fully to someone who's hurt you, they may hurt you, they may hurt you again. And it's up to the spirit of wisdom and discernment to tell you, okay, how much are you going to open up your heart to this person? There's also permission, A, there's permission for you to put up boundaries, stricter boundaries, but there's also permission for you to loosen boundaries. And maybe there's, there are those of you in the, that are here this morning and you've had to close someone off from your life. Maybe fully, maybe to a degree, but maybe there's a grace where God has been moving in their life and he's saying, hey, let's loosen that up a little bit again. Hey, let's, I want you to let them access a little bit more of your heart. And that could be really hard. I think sometimes, I mean, it depends on your personality type. It's easier for me to put up boundaries than to loosen boundaries. Others of you, it's easier for you to loosen boundaries and say yes to everything than to put up boundaries. But in this moment right now, Holy Spirit, what are you telling us to do? If anything. Are there people that need more access to our heart or are there people that need less access to our heart this morning? In Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15, it says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. Forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. And you also must forgive. 
I've talked about forgiveness a couple times up here, but I need to reiterate that forgiveness does, is not conducive to trust. Forgiveness doesn't say, hey, here's full access to my heart again. Forgiveness at the core of everything is that you wish for that person to experience the love of God more than the disdain that you have for them. So how do you know if you've truly forgiven someone? It's that your ambition for them to experience the love of God is higher than your disdain that you have for them. So the image of them being held by God, it doesn't make you angry. That's a good indication that you've forgiven them. If that person that's hurt you right now, you close your eyes and you imagine Jesus embracing them and and bringing wholeness and reconciliation to them. If in your heart that image actually causes you more anger or disdain because they don't deserve it or because of the pain that they've caused you, I don't think you've forgiven them yet. But if that, if that image of Jesus coming and embracing whoever it is, for me it's my father, and that person just weeping in his arms and you seeing fullness and wholeness just flow into them. And if your, your heart's cry is, yes, God, I want this to happen. Despite the pain, despite the things they've done to me, despite what they may even do to me in the future, God, I want them to experience you. That's forgiveness. So God of reconciliation, I pray that you just come into this place. God, would you show us areas of our life that we need to set up more boundaries with friends, with family, with coworkers, God, would you show us areas that we need to loosen our boundaries? God, would you show us and reveal to us areas of our life that we may be perpetuating brokenness in a different way? God, would you show us who we need to forgive this morning? I thank you that our sacrifices don't go unseen. Even the thought of forgiveness is a sacrifice to some of you. God, I pray that in the coming weeks, days, months, years, we will hear story after story of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of places that were once not whole becoming whole, of places where the kingdom of heaven comes and infiltrates where maybe we've never experienced it before. God, would we be made aware of the reality that the kingdom of heaven is here in this moment? 
would we open our hearts fully to all that you have for us? God, would we never believe the lie that we have to continue on in the cycle of brokenness? Yeah, and I feel like even in the area of finances, there's some of, the, some of you who, you grew up with no money and you believe that you're supposed to never have any money. And so oftentimes your decisions, it's not even that you ask God about them, it's this, this weird false humility where it's like, I need to be poor. And there are those of you who are, you're called to be poor in this place. I'm not, I don't want to make blanket statements, but I just feel like specifically for someone, there's a lie that God actually wants the dream that he has over your life is for you to pour into the kingdom through your finances to fund people. But you believe the lie that that's not for you. And God, any area of our life where you want to express yourself in a different way, but we feel like we haven't had permission to go there, would you come and show up in that place? So Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do in this place this morning. I bless every single person who is here. God, would you... Would you move in our hearts? Would this not, these not be mere words, but would they be spirit activated? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.